Please turn in your New Testaments now as we begin four weeks of preaching through Advent in Luke chapter 2 with the Simeon narrative, Christmas through eyes of anticipation. Turn to Luke 2 verses 21 through 24. Luke 2, 21 through 24. And this is the very word of God. And at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they came up to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Let's pray. Lord, would you show us the real Son of God through your word and by your power and help us to respond to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is a story of the most famous preacher in the entire world at the end of the 1800s, right at the turn of the century. His name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was the pastor of what was called the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, which seated thousands of people. I don't remember how big, but there's this great story about how you know, people would, would come in, they, they'd want to come to London, and they would stay to hear the great Spurgeon preach, and they would tour the, the tabernacle. And, and so this family was, was in touring the tabernacle early one week, and, and they saw this guy sitting down at one of the pews. He looked like he was writing something. He was dressed very humbly, and it was Charles Spurgeon. And they thought he was the custodian. So they walked up to him and said, uh, hey, we're here for a tour. Um, you don't mind getting up and giving us a tour, do you? And they were kind of demanding, a little pushy. And he said, uh, no, I, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. And, and so he, he took them around the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And, and at the end, they, they thanked the custodian for, for the great tour. You can imagine how surprised they were you know, three or four days later when the custodian rose to preach in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. I mean, they were, they were startled at who he really was. I start with that story because Jesus is like that too, only infinitely more so. Jesus was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus was God the Son in all his majesty and glory. And you know what? You just wouldn't know it. You just would not recognize him unless God revealed it to you. Even if you saw him during his earthly life and ministry. We read these, these words that, that always are so curious to me. In Isaiah 53, 2, he had nothing he had no beauty, rather. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Really? 
Really? Yeah, he was a real human being. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Meaning you could mistake Jesus Christ for the custodian very easily. But he's not. He is the eternal, majestic, matchless son of God who willingly came into time and space to rescue us. In theological language, Christmas is about what the theologians call the humiliation of God or Christ. The humiliation of Christ. So we're going to start Advent with the word humiliation. All right? And our text today shows us how far down he would come in order to rescue us. Now let me ask you, when was the, the last time you were humiliated? Where you just were kind of humbled and, 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 and left humiliated? You know, I've been through humiliation a lot of times in my life. Some of it is humorous now. Uh, others are not humorous at all. Um, I'll give you a humorous example. I remember being with some friends after college, rowdy friends, um, and we we were stopping in this little town. We're going to grab some lunch. We're on the way to somewhere else, and we stopped in this little chicken restaurant, and there are probably about 30 people in the chicken restaurant. It held probably about 35 people, and and, uh, I decided that uh, before being in that kind of dirty restaurant I decided I want to wash my hands before before eating in that restaurant so uh, that is when I ran into a problem because the signs over the bathrooms were not marked ladies and men's they were marked roosters and hens can you see where this is going and I had a lot on my mind and I glanced up at the word hens and you understand I read it as men's and let me tell you there were hens in there and one of the hens looked at me with this very uncomfortable kind of shocked look and kind of did that and didn't dry our hands and, and kind of ran out into the restaurant. And, you know, there's only 30 people, so this is kind of causing a scene. I looked at her and the other hen that was in there and kind of had the same look. And, and I burst out of the hen's room uh, as well, only for one of my smart aleck college friends to have said in a loud voice he has gone into the women's restroom and so everybody was riveted upon me when the hen flew out and then when I uh, when I flew out before and I remember walking out and everybody just laughing at me hysterically and so I immediately sought the sanctuary of the rooster's room and uh, and ducked into the rooster's room. And I'll tell you, when I walked out of the rooster's room, I did not feel like the king of the world. I was humiliated. And I wish I could tell you that all the humiliation I've ever experienced is like that. I cannot. And I know I speak for you that some of the most deep and painful things in our lives have been times of great humiliation, things that we would never want to go through again. I I loathe humiliation, just like you. But I'm going to tell you, 
if you think about some of the most hurtful and humiliating things you've ever been through, you and I cannot even approach understanding how humiliating it was for very God, a very God, the glorious, the majestic, to become man, to take up humanity. I mean, this is the glorious all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, all-loving, morally perfect, all-good, holy, holy, holy God. And then there's us. You know, there's this gap that, that no one can, can cross because of the radical difference between the glory of God and the sinfulness of man. And God came down here. It's, it, 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 this is an amazing thing. We could not ascend to God. We could not transform ourselves to be acceptable to an ultimately good, glorious, and holy God. And so God came down. Not just in terms of from heaven to earth, but came down in terms of taking, becoming one of us. The humiliation of the Son of God, and, and not only becoming a man as God, but, I mean, think about the way His creatures, the way other people treated Him his, in His life. This was God incarnate. I mean, this, this is incredible. I mean, finally, to mock Him, to scourge Him, and to crucify Him, His own creatures, you and I cannot fathom the purposeful humiliation of God in Christ becoming man and all that he experienced solely for the purpose of eradicating the gap between us and God for us. Christmas is about God to the rescue. It's about a baby born in, in a manger, right? But it's about humiliation. And we need to understand this. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Christmas is about humiliation. God came down. God came be one of us. But this text even goes further than that. This text says God not only came here, was born, took up human flesh. God not only came down, God came under God came under the law, under the curse of the law, for us. And I love that wonderful passage in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem the, us who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So, as we begin this narrative of Simeon and, and his 
interface and, and his being with Jesus and Mary and Joseph on the way to the temple, we don't need to go too fast and just get to there was, a, there was Mary and Joseph with Jesus, they were going to the temple, and there was Simeon. We need to stop and ask why Mary and Joseph are in the temple to begin with. Here's the reason. They are in the temple so that he who is under the law can fulfill the law. Everything that is required of him, just like any other Jewish boy, will be done to him, even though he needs none of it, and, and, and most of it does not describe him at all. Now, we see this, this fulfillment of the law in, in a few ceremonies that are quite interesting. And, and it's, it's really easy to kind of just read through those and, and get to the, the other people in the story. But I'll tell you what's in these ceremonies. In these ceremonies is a greater picture of the humiliation of Christ for me and for you. And it is wonderful. So let's just kind of walk through these ceremonies. The first is the ceremony called circumcision. On the eighth day of a little Jewish boy's life, he was taken to be circumcised. We read this in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given to him by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. Um, now, this ritual of circumcision, what it did was it, it marked a child to, uh, and showed the relation between that child and God through the covenant that God made with Abraham. And in Genesis 17, God said, I will make a covenant with you and your children. And he said, and I want you to, to show the world, I want you to show the uniqueness of this by circumcising every male child. It pictures the cutting away of the sin nature through blood. Very similar to what baptism pictures. Baptism pictures the washing away of, of our sin by the blood of Jesus. Circumcision had the same picture. It's, the, it's cutting away, uh, the, the removal of, of, of sin uh, by blood. And here's the point. Jesus wasn't sinless. I mean, Jesus was sinless. Uh, Jesus didn't really need the picture applied to him of the removal of, of sin. But you know, I'm going to tell you what he did. He identified with sinners through this. He said, you know what? I've come down. I've been born of a woman. I am standing in their place. I am under the law. And he identified with us. And you know, the first thing, it's really interesting. The first thing Jesus faced was pain through blood. Which was the picture of the last thing he faced. On the cross was pain through blood. We kind of start with pain through blood and the removal of sins, the picture, and we end with pain through blood and the actual removal of sins. This is really interesting to me. Every Jewish boy was circumcised on the eighth day. But emphasized here really is not just the circumcision, but you may have noticed the naming of the child. The father was to name the child uh, at the circumcision. And in obedience to what the angel had said both to Joseph and to Mary, when it came time for Joseph to name the child, Joseph said, his name is Jesus. 
In Matthew 1.21, we read of that encounter when, when Joseph wasn't sure what to do with his pregnant fiancée. And God appeared to him in a dream and said, whoa. He didn't say whoa, but he said, it's okay. Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. This is the one. And this is what the angel told Joseph. She will give birth to a son. And you, the father, are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So the first thing is this circumcision, something he didn't need, this, this picture of the washing away of sins. And he is named Jesus, the one who washes sins away. Isn't that interesting? Second is the presentation of the firstborn and the, what's called the redemption of the firstborn. Jesus was the firstborn. This is verse 22 in our text. And next week we'll get to Simeon and we'll get to Anna and all of that. But in verse 22, it says, When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. Meaning every firstborn Hebrew child, uh, boy, was to be presented before the Lord, we, we, we see this laid out in Numbers 3, and, um, and also um, we see it laid out in Numbers 3, basically that God claims the right to the firstborn. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, it's the, the, the firstborn and the best that you set aside, the first fruits of your labor, that's for God. Well, the firstborn also belonged to God, and he claimed the firstborn. And here's the thing, if you were not born of the tribe of Levi, there were 12 tribes and one tribe had been given the assignment by God to specifically serve in the temple and all these ceremonial things. If you were not born in the tribe of Levi, um, you had to ceremonially buy back the fact that you were not going to serve in the temple the rest of your life. You were presented before the Lord, and then it said, then, then you were redeemed before the Lord. It cost five shekels to buy back a child who was not born of the tribe of Levi's. We read about this in Numbers 18.6. And Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah, just as it was foretold that the Savior would be. And so therefore, as the firstborn, he was presented and he was redeemed Bought back by five shekels. Now, I'll give you the example if you're a little confused. You remember the story of Hannah and Samuel, and she wanted a child, and finally God gave her a child, and she said, Lord, if you'll give me a child, I will dedicate him to you, and he will serve you all his days. This is an example of someone who did not buy back their child. And when he was weaned, he was raised by the high priest. Jesus was presented in the temple, And he was bought back. So let's kind of catch up here. The one who brings forgiveness of sins has to undergo the ritual that shows the forgiveness of sins. Circumcision. The one who really is the real temple between God and man, the representation of God on earth, has to be brought to to be presented at the physical temple. And the Redeemer has to be redeemed by five shekels. 
And, and all of this, because he has come under the law and he identifies with us and he will perfectly fulfill the law, not only in these ceremonies, but in every moment, thought, word, deed, intention of his entire life, he will live that life that you and I cannot live for 10 minutes. And he will live it in our place. And we're going to be granted his righteousness. What he, under the law, he, he takes the curse. He goes to the cross. We get his perfect life. He takes our punishment. The third and the last is what you might just call the purification ceremony. If you look with me at verse 22, it says, When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. Okay? Their purification. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him before the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male, firstborn male, shall be called holy to the Lord. The Lord claims that child. you got to buy him back. And they came up to and here's where we are, to offer the sacrifice for purification. To offer, verse 24, a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Quote, as a Jewish mother, Mary was considered unclean after the act of childbirth for seven days. That's Leviticus 12, 2. And she was expected to remain in ceremonial isolation for another 33 days. That is Leviticus 12, 4. For a total of 40 days. So, now you uh, young mothers, I've noticed that some of uh, our young mothers have their, particularly their first child, and they claim ceremonial isolation for about six months. You got 40 days to be in church, people. And back then, you had to be ceremonially cleansed. You had to have the purification ritual. And the male being with the female, they were purified. In some way, he was included in that too, I suppose. It's not really clear, but for sure, her. This ceremony required, surprise, surprise, a lamb for a burnt offering and a dove or a pigeon for a sin offering. And here we see another example of the humiliation of Christ. See, God not only has come down here, God has not only taken up Human form, God, human form, humiliation. But God has come, Christ has come under the law. He, he is submitting to all of these, these ceremonies. But, but now we see that the Son of God has an additional humility of being given into the hands of a very poor family from a very small town, know-nothing town, up in the hills called Nazareth. Remember, can anything good come out of Nazareth? According to Leviticus 12, 6, notice I've quoted Leviticus 12, 2, Leviticus 12, 8, now Leviticus 12, 6. If you want to kind of read all about this, you can. 
According to Leviticus 12, 6, a poor couple who could not afford a lamb to be sacrificed and burnt as a burnt offering, expensive, could opt for a cheaper sacrifice. You could buy two little birds, and one of the birds could kind of be the stand-in lamb, and the other bird would be the bird. (laughs) So, basically, what we see in this text, and you just kind of have to know what's going on in this in the law of Moses and what went on in this culture religiously is that Mary and Joseph's humble offering was a public declaration of their poverty. They opted for the much cheaper sacrifice, two birds instead of a lamb and a bird. That's what verse 24 means a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now you get it. Probably when I was reading the text, you're like, what is this about pigeons? You, know, you read a text and you go, what is he going to do with that today? A pair of turtle dove and two young pigeons. Well, well, this is it. This is the purification ceremony. How ironic that the Lamb of God's parents, Jesus, the Lamb of God, his parents were too poor to be able to afford a lamb to be sacrificed for purification. Now, the Lamb of God's parents said, we'll, we'll take the two birds. You find this interesting or boring? If you say, don't say boring out loud, okay? <laughs> Circumcision, the presentation of the child, the redeeming back of the child, and the purification ceremony. That's all what, what you see here. This is why they're going to the temple and how it is that they meet Simeon on the steps on the way up to do all of this. So let's wrap this up. Christmas is about the humiliation of Christ for us. God came down here. God came down here. God became one of us. God not only came down here, God came under, Christ came under the law, under the curse of the law, and perfectly obeyed the law for us. Identified with us as sinners, and then perfectly obeyed the law on our behalf. And Jesus was raised by poor and very godly parents who could only afford a two-pigeon sacrifice And Jesus was not raised in the home of a noble person in Jerusalem. He was not raised by the priestly class in Jerusalem. He was raised by a humble carpenter in the hill country in the city of Nazareth. But he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God. Incarnate, God with flesh on. But you just wouldn't know he was the king. You just wouldn't know it. Meaning, Jesus is a very humble Savior. And you know something? If we don't seek him humbly... We'll never find him. 
You see, if we're just looking for like some powerful God to make our lives better, some glorious and powerful, undeniable God that we can harness into our lives to try to make it work better, you'll never find him. I mean, if this is just about kind of augmenting something, finding something better, integrating us with God, you'll never find him. I mean, if it's all about the fact that you think the culture's going to hell in a handbasket and, and maybe, you know, it's a, Jesus is the only answer and Jesus is gonna, gonna, you know, make everything right. If that's the only thing you see in Jesus, you'll never find him. Never. Because you know what? If we are proud and seeking God on our own terms, and this is exactly why the Jews missed him. They were looking for that conquering hero. They were looking for that person that would kick the Romans out. They were looking for that fix. But if we are proud, we would never look for God in a feeding trough. Never. The last place in the world you would look for God is in a manger in a barn out behind an inn in Bethlehem. You would never look for the Son of God in the arms of a very poor family. You would never travel to Nazareth to look for the Son of God. Never. He is hidden from the proud because he is a humble Savior. God humiliated for you and for me. And that is why his own missed him. And I'll tell you where you would never, ever look for an almighty, conquering hero, get it done, fix it Savior you would never look on a Roman cross for that kind of Savior. No, it is as though Jesus is hidden on a cross. Most everybody at the time cannot find him simply because he is a God of humiliation And in his humility, he is hidden from the proud. This is precisely where he is in a manger. This is precisely where he would be on a cross. I want to tell you as we begin this four-week journey to Christmas, the only right response for you with this Savior is to fall on your knees as a sinner who knows you need Him. To fall on your knees knowing that you couldn't make it to God and He came down here. And in gratitude that God would humiliate Himself for you and to worship Him as one who needs Him. If you've never really known what to do with Jesus? Wow, this would be really something to put it all together in Advent that the starting point in Christianity is don't even try. 
there's just no way God is so holy and we are so not. And it's just unbridgeable. That's why God became one of us. That's why he died on the cross. But I'm going to tell you, if you do see it, it is truly Christmas. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity, pleased as God with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Christmas came humbly. Let us respond with humble need and adoration. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, pray to you now, we are filled with wonder that you would do this for us. That you so loved us that you would actually become one of us. That you would actually take the curse of the law and you would actually take that curse to a Roman cross and be punished in our place. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you actually would say it is finished. If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done and you'd like to, just pray with me. Lord, I see it. I, I've been trying somehow to, to be pleasing to you. But I want to turn from everything that I have called religion. I want to turn from everything that I've called Christianity. I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you have fully and completely done for me. Thank you that even now you've come into my life. Even now you've forgiven me of my sins. Lead me. Let me stay humble in posture before you and in wonder. Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you for quite some time. And we need to be surprised by wonder. As Christmas is already here. Bumping into our busy lives. Oh Lord, would you help us to see Jesus properly? Because thank you for the eternal, amazing, rich, indescribable gift that he who became man has given. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.